This is Payments Innovation. We take you deep into the DNA of digital finance with some of the most respected voices in the industry. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the recent consolidation in the FX or foreign exchange sector, what that consolidation actually means for businesses and consumers, and trying to imagine what the FX world might look like after this wave of acquisition and consolidation. I'm your host, Piers Murray, and to explore these issues and more, hopefully, I'm joined today by Joe Edwards, Managing Director of Capitex, a leading provider of FX services. Joe, really, really good to see you again. Thank you for joining. Great to see you, Piers. Thank you for having me. So, as you know, we always start these podcasts with a bit of uh, an introduction to our guests. So why don't you kick off by giving us a bit of background to yourself and what you're up to at Capitex? So Capitex is a regulated specialist provider of foreign exchange solutions to, to corporations, institutions and high net worth individuals. There are three main pillars to or arms, if you like, to our, our service and what we offer and what we feel differentiates us from our competition. The first being sort of FX risk management, where we we aim to eliminate or reduce the risk involved um, for our customers that have a commercial a commercial exposure in the international payments markets. The second kind of pillar is uh, payments and collections, where we aim to, and I'm sure we'll come on to, to speak more about this, but we aim to kind of nav- navigate the treacherous the treacherous world of, of cross-border payments. Um, the third and, and quite an important pillar and arm to our service, I would say, is technology combined with a service-led offering. Um, where we aim to combine kind of kind of leading technology and innovation with a high touch service led offering. So I guess let me let me start by setting the scene. So the um, the FX market has really experienced this period of I guess rapid change of innovation disruption in recent years. I often kind of use two thousand and eight as the the rough line in the sand when mm-hmm. um, when all sorts of disruption and change started to happen post financial crisis within financial services. And partly that's been driven by by fintech advancements that have maybe improved things like efficiency, lowered costs for customers. But more recently, there's this be, there's been this wave of um, of acquisitions that's that's increasingly consolidating the market into the hands of a few of the the bigger players. And I think this in turn has raised some questions about the impact on things like competition, but also on pricing, those those reduced costs. Um, I think some probably would argue that those larger firms are then able to dedicate more resources to maybe scrutinizing transactions, maybe being more transparent with regulators. While I think others are worrying that that consolidation might actually lead to reduced competition, maybe higher prices for consumers. I think it's worth just maybe maybe kind of looking back to, to set the scene, uh, mm. sharing that historical context. And you are the absolute FX expert. Thankfully, you've, you're, you're joining me here today. <laughs> Very um, kind of you. <laughs> um, but I'd love to get your view of how the FX sector has actually evolved in the past decade or so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we've seen we've seen rapid change, um, most of which has come about through advancements in technology. But I can certainly rem- remember the the only way to 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 kind of see a, a, an exchange rate would be to look at the daily paper. Um, but you know, but now um, as the market has moved on, there's it's so much more transparent due to technology. Um, 
customers we find are more educated, which is great, um, in order to kind of pursue a more, a more consumer driven product. And we've obviously seen the fintech boom that was, has kind of been central to this increase in technology. We've seen greater speed of payments. Um, obviously in the domestic market, real time payments, especially in the UK is something that since you mentioned 2008, that was something that did come into play in 2008. Um, and that has been a central driver to, um, the cross border payments market trying to actually develop further as well. Um, and, and actually improve that speed. Another key evolution is, is globalization itself and how the world has become so much more interconnected and there's a heavy reliance on the FX market and the cross-border payments market to, um, to connect that globalization that we see. Um, great. Brilliant, brilliant overview of the last kind of 10 years or so. So let's, let's talk about maybe more recently some of that, that consolidation that we've been seeing happening specifically within the FX sector. What's been some of the impact on on maybe the businesses and consumers who are relying on competition, competitive FX markets? What what have been some of the 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 impacts of that consolidation and acquisition in in more recent times? Well, I think the first thing that I would sort of acknowledge is that the FX cross border payments market is extremely vast. Yes, we have seen lots of consolidation in what I would say is a specific area of foreign exchange. Um, that being probably the one that I'm involved in most, which is sort of FX risk management. As a whole, when looking at cross-border payments, I would say that the market is actually extremely fragmented. I read that there's not one player that is responsible for over 1% of cross-border payments on a global footprint. And that shows how fragmented it actually is because that market is made up of, um, when you think about the layering, it's made up of banks at the top, um, followed by EMIs, APIs. And then underneath that, you've sort of got agents and distributors. Um, I know that the FCA have said that there's around 20,000 agents and distributors all operating through APIs or EMIs. And then they regulate themselves about 1,500 EMI, EMIs and APIs. So you can start to see that the market is actually, there are actually lots of players in it. But when we look at consolidation, yes, we have seen a wave of ac acquisition recently. So consolidation is happening and it's obviously having an effect on consumers and individuals. So I would say that it's, it affects the space in a few different ways. Do they really want this? Are they asking for this, this acquisition or is it a move that has been brought about by um, you know, the acquirer wanting to access new markets, for example, that company may have you know, a particular interest in a particular jurisdiction around the world that the acquirer you know, values and seeks. So I, th I think it comes down to that. Who is, who is it actually benefiting? That's a really good question. Um, and, and it's important, an important one to call out, right? Because there are these acquisitions and mergers that are happening and those acquisitions in their own right can be expensive, resource intensive processes. Um, followed by the inevitable bringing together of different operating models, people, product, processes. That's a really, really expensive um, process that has to happen. So maybe let me turn the question back at you. Who, who actually does benefit from from these acquisitions? Yeah. Is it is it the acquirer, the acquiree? Is it is it the end customers? I, I was actually involved in um in an in an acquisition before, so I was part of that process and. Um, and originally, it was kind of built up to be this great move where our customers would really, really benefit. And so no doubt some of them did. But from my experience, the vast majority of them 
it was a it was a transition that they didn't request so there was lots of friction in that process so i would say that that now kind of the overall gain is is there but um we have to remember that as well that when these M&As are happening, that there, as I mentioned before, there is lots of competition in the market and it's very, very easy for, for a customer to sort of fall back on another provider or another solution that they used a few years ago. Interesting. And, and actually, when, then when we think about it or going back to your stat that there globally, there isn't a, a, uh, maybe like one leading provider that is, that is dominating this, this space globally. But perhaps when we think about it regionally or even within specific jurisdictions, there, the impact of some of these acquisitions will potentially be, be larger, right? You've talked about greater friction on certain types of customers post acquisition. But what are, what are some of the benefits that these acquisitions actually do bring to the, the businesses and, and, yeah. um, and individual customers of, of some of these providers? When we look at a business that's acquiring another business, um, and the reasons why they're doing it, norm- normally, therefore, um, they're for reasons such as expanding into new markets. So, um, for example, a customer may be able to benefit from new products, which is, is kind of really important. Um, when we think of also about the types of businesses that are maybe acquired, if they're a smaller, more boutique company, being part of a larger organization may give them access to more currencies, may give them access to sort of better settlement times and clearing. They may have better, better, um, banking technology behind the service where local collections are kind of more efficient. So there are, there are lots of benefits for, for, for all the organizations and the customers, but I think it's kind of, it's kind of seeing through that. And at the end of the day, I do believe that if the customer does want to transact with a certain company, they will always do that. Um, And I think that's an important thing to consider. I like that idea of customer choice, bringing back this back to customer centricity, actually, that you mentioned um, towards the start of the episode. And, and we've also used this word boutique a couple of times. I think this probably reflects maybe the, the wave of change that's been happening since 2008, especially in the UK European markets, where we do have a relatively progressive kind of regulatory framework. Um, we have those different concepts. You, you mentioned EMI, API, those stand for electronic money institutions or authorized payment institutions for anyone who's not aware of those uh, financial service acronyms. But we do have that regulatory framework that has allowed those different types of providers actually to, to enter the market, which then gives customers that choice. And you know, you, you've mentioned boutique all the way up to, to large firms. So, so maybe let's touch on some of those differences as well. How are the offerings really different between some of the larger firms versus the more boutique shops? Why would an end customer choose one over other, in your opinion? Yeah, good, good question. And I, and I think, again, it's, in, it's kind of maybe important to break that question down slightly in, in, and ask what customer type is that? For example, are they a, sort of a, a retail client that's maybe sending money to, to family and friends? Or are they a you know, are they a, a large um, institution that is kind of looking to make an intercompany payment? So, and I think the service offering really, really differs for each type of um, of customer. For example, with the recent fintech boom, the, the kind of lower value transaction retail customer sending money to a friend may be more inclined to use a product such as Revolut or Wise, um, two of the, you know, two of the, the big players that have, uh, that have um, performed exceptionally well in recent years, or 
when we look at the other type of customer where customer service is is much more important um and you know they want to have comfort over the fact of speaking to someone where they are sending large amounts of money for for security reasons or expertise when it comes to FX risk management. It's this innovation that has allowed different types of firms to emerge and flourish maybe over the past 10, 15 years um, that in turn are really focusing on servicing specific types of customers and their needs. And, and as you mentioned, overlaying maybe sort of high touch customer, su customer service on top of new technology, new innovation to provide yeah. the, the, that, that kind of special combination of, of services that, that really attracts and retains those customers, creates loyal customers who do stay with you um, over time. I think, I think that's exactly right. And I was reading recently the um, financial results of, of some of the, those companies that are, are listed, one being Argentex, another being Equals. And I know they've, they've performed exceptionally well lately. Um, the results have been fantastic and and i think that's kind of testament of the type of service that they're offering they they do they do see the value of technology however that customer-led service is something that's that's really important and the fact that um the fact that our space if you like is is kind of thriving um speak volumes of that i i, I get i get asked a question all the time by um i'm not sure if you do as well pierce but from some sort of friends that know what i do um, on a on a day to day basis, and see the see the fintech boom, and question whether you know the industry that I work in is sort of in jeopardy. And, and, and my my argument to that is, well, well, no, it's certainly not because um, we embrace that technology. And one thing that's that I often think about within this FX sector is that I think it's fair to say historically the sector has been kind of considered maybe opaque, maybe lacking a bit of transparency. How has the innovation and the disruption changed that over the past few years? Yeah, I, I think there is, well, firstly, to acknowledge that transparency has, has sort of increased so much. And it's, it's, I think it's one of the great, one of the great drivers of pushing our business forward. Because it's come, as, come a long way since the, the, day, the days of day rates published in, in the newspapers, as you touched on earlier. Pr precisely. But when, when you think about like payments from start to finish, um, a, a recent revelation is GPR, GPI tracking. It's fantastic um, where we're able to see a payment's um, full life cycle from start to finish. And, and this is something that customers are really, really, really going to value. Do you see any differences between maybe some of the larger firms versus some of the, the more boutique firms in that level of transparency prov being provided to their customers? So in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, because um, the likes of Currency Cloud are able to to work with all participants of the market, whether they be smaller boutique players or larger players. And the service that Currency Cloud provide can give a, you know, a, a solution that fits all participants of the market, no matter what size they are. However, if a, if, if a, if a company doesn't choose to, to look, sort of leverage that technology that is out there, then I do think that you would start to see a difference. Really interesting. Really interesting. So just before we come to maybe some of those areas of improvement, um, I'd love just to touch a little bit more on the regulatory side of this, because again, it's it's maybe a, a, a topic that isn't incorporated into these types of podcasts, um, but is is absolutely fundamental to, at least in my opinion, <laughs> I'd love to get your opinion, but is, is fundamental to everything that we're doing here. What is yeah. regulation actually, or what role does regulation play 
in this sector to ensure that consumers and businesses are actually protected, that their hard-earned cash is actually safe? Yeah, well, no, I most definitely agree. And it's something that, that at Capitex we take exceptionally seriously. It's what I believe is the, the, you know, the driving force behind our market in order to hold every company to account to make sure that we're all doing right by the consumer. And I think that's really, really important. It's actually very, a very relevant question because currently, um, Capitex is along with every other you know, non-bank financial institution is, is, is undergoing the work around consumer duty. Mm. So consumer duty is a new piece of legislation. And um, what consumer duty is focused on is really customer outcomes. It's designed to set higher expectations on standard of care that firms give to consumers, vulnerable customers, and to promote effective competition in the interests of, of, of customers. It brings about an introduction of a new consumer um, principle 12, as, as, as the FCA call it. And they've kind of given four cross-cutting rules to support this outcome and provide transparency on what good customer outcomes look like. The first being products and services, the second being price and value, and the third being consumer understanding, and the fourth being consumer support. But um, going back to regulation as a whole, as I say, to, just to finish on, it's something that that is extremely important to us and to our customers, um, going back to making sure that customers' funds are safe and secure. Wonderful. And it's, it's comfort and trust as well that comes with that. Let me pose a counter actually to this, because to, to achieve A, the regulatory high bar, but B, the additional burden of things like consumer duty, it's costly. It, it takes resource, it takes people, it takes time, energy, and, and, and money to be able to achieve some of these things. So, if we continue down that route, does that set an even higher bar for some of the smaller places? Does this actually start the the end of some of the startup driven innovation? Yeah, I, I think that it certainly does, and um, you know, it's no surprise to to anyone, I'm sure, that you know, being a regulated um, business comes with extra responsibility. And I think that's the key word there, responsibility. If you, if you are a business that's willing to or, or, or wants to become a regulated entity, um, you, you have to be prepared to invest in the teams. And, you know, it's a fundamental part of, of being, uh, of working in the financial services industry. If firms aren't prepared to, to invest into it in the way that they should, then maybe they should stick to being, you know, a kind of agent or a distributor. Um, I think that's that's a key point. But yes, you are right. It is it is a significant cost, but one that I think is is extremely important because I do feel that the businesses that don't take compliance and security and and regulation seriously will be the ones that kind of filter out. There's a sort of fundamental um you know setting behind that and that's customer outcomes. Totally agree with that sentiment. Totally agree. And as a, as a product person, I'm always talking about customer first, customer led thinking, customer centricity. Yeah. So we totally echo that. So look, we've already started to, I suppose, get out the crystal, proverbial crystal balls. Um, mine is pretty cracked, actually. And some of the magic, uh, magic liquid inside is, is starting to seep out. So, um, I need a bit of your help here to, uh, to kind of think, think forward, look into the future. And, and we've already touched on some of the regulatory changes. Um, and the impact of some of those regulatory changes that that may uh, that we may start to see. But what are the other 
trends or disruptions that you see on the horizon for the the fx sector it's a great question i think the obvious the the obvious uh topic for, 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 for this is is obviously the talk of central bank digital currencies cbdcs however my opinion of those uh, is that they're they're very very much immature at this stage to really hold any validity in in us look into that for a solution of, of cross-border payments. I think that realistically they're, they're over a decade off. The true value is going to come from improving existing systems in sort of the next five to five to 10 years. I think the one obvious improvement would be from the current model of real-time growth settlement to a 24-7, 365 model of um, real-time growth settlements of central banks, whereby they're not reliant on the sun rising in, in the US for their payment to land. If that model can be made to a 24-7, 365 model, I think that we'll see a vast improvement in cross-border payments and, and helping them to speed up and become more efficient. Brilliant. Well, Joe, this is an incredibly complex space, but I think you've articulated it brilliantly. Thank you so I much. I hope so. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing your views, your insight into, into the FX and international payment sector. You know, we've talked about that wave of consolidation that we've been seeing, what's, what regulation means for the industry and, and for end consumers. And, and also importantly, um, you've got a, a crystal ball that's uh, that's that's functioning. It's not like mine. So um, we'll talk about um, where it's going in future. Thank you so much. And finally, to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for joining us here on Payments Innovation. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Connect with Currency Cloud on Twitter or LinkedIn to find out more. And remember to subscribe by your favorite podcast player. Until next time.